Father, thank you that you are the great I am. Thank you so much that you care for us, you love us. Thank you that you are the wise God Almighty, invisible, immortal. We are so, so thankful that we can sing, pray, gather, encourage one another because of what you've done for us. Thank you so much. Father, thank you for our fathers here today. Fathers, again, we're grateful for you. Thank you, all our men. Certainly we are. We're looking forward to celebrating more with you today. So uh, watch the screen. Have a little bit of fun before we start the sermon today. Thinking about our fathers. The first thing my dad does when he gets up is go make the coffee. Okay, who wants coffee? <laughs> I want some coffee. Okay, first I smash the beans.
just to give you kind of the context of where we're at uh, even today. If you look at chapter 1 of Exodus, uh, Israel greatly increases. They're growing. They're in um, Egypt. They're under oppression. They're slaves to the Egyptians. And God has brought them there because he's going to do a great work in their lives. Chapter 2, we see the birth of Moses. We know all about that and how God protected him. Should have been killed, but the handmaids come alongside and they hide him, Moses, in that basket. And then he gets raised in the palace, in the Egyptian palace. We see in chapter 3 the call of Moses as God is, as he's in Midian. He's gone, he's left Egypt, he's down in Midian now. And he, he sees the bush that's flaming. He goes to it, and God calls him and says, you're going to be the one to lead the people out of Israel, out of Egypt. And he doesn't get real excited about that, but God convinces him he's the man for the job. You go on, you see the signs that are given, deliverance. They're making the bricks without straw in chapter 5. God promises deliverance in chapter 6. Then begins the plagues. You read through those, the plagues that are there. Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh, let my people go. He continues to say, no, we're not going to do that. Plague one, plague two, plague three, plague three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And lastly, we get to chapter 12 and the Passover, this last plague that takes place. And as he says, you put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your house, I'll pass over you. It shows you that you're submissive to me and you're listening to me. The people of Israel did that. The children of Israel did that. And the people of Egypt did not. And their firstborns were slain. And it was great wailing. A sad, sad, very, very sad story. But, but God said, I've given you every chance. I've, I've given you every chance to respond to me and exalt me and see, see me as the great I am, as to see me as the Father. And this is because you will not obey. This is your discipline for that. Difficult, difficult thing. That takes us into the end chapter 13. And when we get to chapter 13, the end of chapter 13, we read about God's presence. And the pillar of fire at night in the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day is presence. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the clouds stopped, they stopped. When the clouds stayed, place, stayed in place, they stayed in place. They did not move. They were following the Lord. And then I don't know if any of you might remember, but uh, I don't know, you know, see January... Through uh, 20, January through March of 2020, we uh, embarked on a study on, remember, anybody remember this book? <laughs> if you weren't here, you heard the old Yavs. They remember this book. This is a significant, significant sermon series that we did. A book by Robert J. Morgan. If you don't have it, it is worth picking up, getting a couple copies and giving them to other people too. Just that good. The 10, the 10, um, God-given strategies for difficult times. The same God who led you in will lead you out. As they're in front of the Red Sea, the Egyptians are coming after them. And as Robert J. Morgan writes, you probably remember some of these. I have to read them because I don't have them all down. But rule number one, realize that God means for you to be where you're at right now. Whatever situation you're in, God knows. And he's allowed that. Number two, be more concerned for God's glory than your own relief. Get out of the situation. Be concerned about His glory. That's the most important. Three, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. The enemy's around, we know that, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Four, pray! <laughs> In the midst of it, take time to pray. Ask God for His help and His strength as you go through the situation. Number five, stay calm. Ah! No, 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 that's not calm, right? Stay calm and confident and give God time to work. That's what they had to do. They're walled in with the Egyptians behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. It looks like impending death. They're going to get us. Stay calm and confident. Number six, when unsure, just take the next logical step of faith. Number seven, envision God's enveloping presence. Recognize that he's there, that he cares for you, that he loves you. Number eight, trust God to deliver in his own unique way, which he did for them. Moses just touched the water, the waters parted, and they were able to walk on dry ground through the Red Sea. 
benefit right now, but it's going to have benefit down the road, too, as we see God's deliverance and His provision. And then when God answers, chapter 15, when God answers, don't forget to praise Him. Don't forget to celebrate. And if you'll remember, it took us over a year to get to lesson number 9, or lesson 10, because we finished on the 9th, which was March 15th, when COVID shut everything down. So we had to wait a whole year, at least, to be able to get to number 10 and thank you for what he's done. But well worth, well worth going back through again. I know numbers of you have taken copies, given them to other people. Well worth doing that even now. So that's Exodus 14 and 15. We get to the end of chapter 15 as you follow along in your Bible there. After that great victory and triumph, they're traveling to the promised land and they get to the desert, the wilderness, um, the wilderness of Shur. And surely before them they have bitter water and surely they grumble. Just like that. God does. He provides for them, and He provides good water for them. We go on in Exodus 16. They're in the wilderness of sin, and the people don't have food to eat and water to drink, and they want to go back to Egypt. They gr- they grumble, and again, the Lord provides for them. He provides exactly what they need. As Keith Green sang in his uh, very famous song years ago early 80s. So you want to go back to Egypt. He said that God provided the manna. As he put it in the song, they had manna waffles. And they had manna burgers. And they had manna bagels. And they had filet of manna. And they had manna cotti. And they had manana bread. (laughs) Every day. Every day until they reached the promised land. God provided for them. We go into Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. They have no water to drink again. Now they quarrel with Moses about this problem. And what does the Lord do? He provides again. Moses strikes the rock, and water comes from the rock. And then in Exodus 7, or Exodus 17, 8 through 15, the people have their kind of first war as they're traveling to the promised land. The Amalekites come out. They want to take them. They want to stop them. And you remember that, that Moses begins praying. God says to pray. He begins to pray. And as long as his arms are up in the air, as in his posture of prayer, they're winning the battle. But as it happened to you and happened to me, they get weary and tired. They start losing the battle. Aaron and her come alongside, and they keep his arms up. And I imagine their arms got tired too. Joshua led them to their first victory as they moved on to the promised land. The Lord... Provided again. Well, that takes us to Exodus chapter 18. Just like that. We go through 17 passages, verses, chapters there. And the story of Jethro, Moses' father in law, and more of the Lord's provision. <clears throat> now, uh, being as his father in law, I thought this would make for a good Father's Day message. I know he's not. It's a great message for the man, but it's a great message for everybody. All of us gathered here. Fathers, men, students. This is a great message for you, too. Great with the file. Put away your heart, your mind, to remember the days of God. So here's Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, this is what the name means, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, his name means the God of our father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he's encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses... I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons and her two sons with you. Excuse me. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in that way, and how the Lord had delivered them. 
And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under their, the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do this alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but in any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses left his father, let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his country. As I look at this passage, and I've looked at it, you know, numerous times this week, trying to understand verse 2. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. You're trying to figure out who the he is here. Is that, is that Moses? Is that, is that um, Jethro? Um, as I look at it, it seems to me that Moses had sent his wife Zipporah. Pretty interesting name. I haven't heard anybody, wives out there. Anybody have the name Zipporah? Very interesting name, right? Um, it appears to me that Moses sent his daughter and two sons back to Jethro for a time. Now, we don't know why he did that, if that's what took place. But I see that this. Somehow he's taking care of his family. He's loving on his family in some way. And Jethro, as the father and the granddad to these kids, receives them. And I, I see that as love and care for the family, too. In this first point, to be a man of, be a man of your family. Be a family man. This is for everybody. But I'm going to tailor it to men be a family man. Take care of your family. Love your family. Now, I don't know, again, the reason, maybe, maybe Zipporah needed one of those um, I need my mommy and daddy videos. And the grandkids need to see their grandparents. I don't know, some of you do that. There's probably people today that are doing that. I need to see my mom and dad today. My kids need to see their grandparents today. Why? Because it's important, it's valuable, there's love and care that takes place between the family members. And I think we, we see that even right here. But then in verse 5 it says that Jethro brings Zipporah and Gershom and Eliezer back to Moses in the wilderness. Now here they're near Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, as it says there in verse chapter, or verse 5. And when they arrive, we see this love and this care being extended. Moses to Jethro. As they gather together, in verse 7, the respect that showed. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down, and he kissed him. And they each asked each other about their welfare and went into the tent. You see this respect that's taking place, this love of the family, this care for the family that's taking place here in this passage. And it's a call to us, a call to all of us. Our 
families, however they are put together, those that are part of our families, still a part of our families, to love and to care uh, for them and to be a part of their lives. As I've mentioned to you numerous times in my 21 years here, uh, my father died when he was 54 of a brain tumor and uh, had a couple months to live, um, and that was 1983, so it's been almost 40, 40 years coming up this, this Christmas time. And I certainly miss him, miss him a lot. He was a good dad. He was a good dad. He taught me a lot. He said, uh, he 
said, I can't wait to get back home to his family in Serbia. Ask how it felt to get his hands on basketball's most coveted prize, the championship. Jokic, Jokic responded with, it's good, it's good. The job is done. You can go home. <laughs> I just want to relax and go home, be around my close friends and family and just enjoy the moment. Why does he feel this way? Because as he says, quote, basketball is not the main thing in life. Now I know if you make $30 million a year or something like that, <laughs> you can have other interests, right? But, but his family, his family is really, really important to all of us. Our family should be very important. I think we see that. We see glimpses of it in Moses and Jethro's relationship. And caring for one another. Being a part of each other's lives. But men, we, we need to be a, a family. Loving, caring our kids, our grandkids, our siblings, our moms, our dads, those, those people around us that we have the opportunity to be with. I'll be leaving Thursday to take my mom to Iowa for her family reunion. Drive on Friday to be there Saturday, Sunday, come back on Monday. My mom's the 11th of 11 kids. She's the oldest of the youngest. She's the only one alive still. So she won't be seeing any of her siblings because they're all gone. They've all passed. But she'll be seeing the nieces and nephews. It's just a good chance for Alicia and I to spend some time with my mom. Tell her she's important, that she's valuable, and that we have this opportunity not to have to take her, but to get to take her. Allow her to be a part of your family. I hope I do a good job. I hope I'm a good family. For my own kids, texted my son and son in law this morning already. Appreciate you. Love you. Serbia, he's probably Eastern Orthodox. But there's something about him, and just, he's, got a, he's got a good heart and a good spirit. But I do know this, that men, for my second point, that our Lord, the Lord's men are good family. They go together. If you're the Lord's man, if you're God's man, and you're pursuing him, loving him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, You'll be a good family. In verse 1, it says, Jethro heard all that God had done for Moses. Well, how would he have heard that? I think he must have heard it from Zipporah and Gershom and Eliza. Some of they've communicated, being with him, they've communicated all that God had done for him. That's interesting. It says that he's a priest of Midian. And um, doing just a little bit of work on that, bringing some other guys. I'm wondering... Now, is he a priest of God Almighty, the great I Am in Midian? Or is he just a priest of whatever the religion was in Midian? Was, I, I couldn't come up with anything very, very specific. It seemed to me that the, the most said he probably maybe was a priest of another religion. I don't know. It's, it, it's not clear who he followed, what God he followed there. But I know this, he certainly heard about God and Yahweh God and all he had done for Moses and the children of Israel according to verse 1, according to verse 2, according to verse 8 and 9. Now think about this. Remember where Moses was in Exodus chapter 3? The burning bush? He's tending the sheep for the priest of Midian, Jethro. He's there. And I'm sure that as Moses saw God in this, this flame, I'm sure that he communicated back to Jethro this call of God, of what God was doing in his life, that God was taking him back to Egypt to lead the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt and into the promised land that had been promised to them. So we know that this is going on, that we know that this is taking place in what God is doing in his life. But look what verse 11 says. Or verse, verse 10, 9. And, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, as Moses and Jethro are sharing together, and that he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
In verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now I know. Is this his kind of his salvation? Is this his faith? Is he placing his faith in God as Yahweh now? It becomes clear to him, God is the God. This is the one I need to worship, and what does he do? When he truly knows who God is, he comes and worships God as he truly is. He brings a burnt offering, he brings a sacrifice, and he goes before the Lord and he worships him. Again, I don't know if this is, a, this is the time he places his faith in him, but it sure seems like something has happened here where his heart says, I know who God is now. He's greater than the other gods that are around. Maybe the gods even that he was a priest ask you today, men, are you the Lord's man? Have you recognized that? Not just you come to church, because that's what we do, but have you recognized who God is and truly worship Him for who He is? Not the God made in your own image. We have a lot of people that do that. Well, I think God is this. Oh, God would never do that. Well, God would do this, because that's what I think I would do. No, no. Who God is. And if you come to that place, you've placed your faith in Him. And said yes to Him. I mean, you could have been coming here for many, many years. But you've never come to that point where you said, God, I need you as my Savior. I recognize who you are. And I need forgiveness of sin. And I need to have eternal life. Have you come to that point? If not, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day to say yes to him. Jay said yes to Jesus. You taught him. Many of you had invested in his life and cared for him and showed him Jesus. And one night, he opened up his heart and said, I need you. Yeah, I go to church. I go to Awana. I go to VBS, but I need you as my Savior. If you've never done that, do that today. Say yes to Invite him into your life. Don't wait. Now is the day of salvation. Open your heart to him. Just pray a prayer. Admit to God you're a sinner. A. B. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for you. C. Confess your faith in him. Say, I want you to be a part of my life. Yes, Jesus. Yes, come into my life. Don't miss that opportunity. 58 students. said yes to Jesus Christ. And I can guarantee you some of those kids have been going to church for years. And finally they realize, oh, this salvation thing's for me. Not about going to church. Church is a part of it. I go because I want to hear about God. But now I need to have God in my life. And they said yes to Jesus. I loved it. I was back here. I could hear you clapping when Pastor Elisha said that. 58 kids came to Jesus Christ. Let's try that clap again. <laughs> That's so exciting. All the work those youth pastors, those youth leaders did to get those kids there, and people found Jesus. Some vacation Bible school, six or eight kids found Jesus during that time. Excited about that. Said yes to Jesus. Men, especially. It's so easy just as men to go, well, you know, I'll take my family to church, I'll go to church, but the best decision ever made. The most necessary decision you ever made. But also, men or anybody else, as about 30 people or more made commitments at camp, to renew their commitment to Jesus Christ, maybe that's what you need to do. You have this relationship with Jesus, but it's
confess my sin. I turn away from it. I turn back to you. I know you will forgive me. Thank you for the forgiveness that you're going to give me. I've admitted what my sin. I've admitted my coldness to you. I've admitted my apathy to you. I've been spending time in the Word. I've been spending time in prayer. to re-energize you. He wants to encourage you. He walks alongside you to help you follow Him so you can be the Lord's man. You can be the Lord's steward. You can be the Lord's woman. He's waiting. Waiting for you to run back and open up. He's the great I Am. somebody who follows God takes care of their family. As we define it as we went through the book of Proverbs, right? What is, it? what is a wise person? A wise person is someone who is skilled or an expert at godly living. They're pursuing that. Not just getting by. No. I want to be a wise person. They're asking God for wisdom for the things that are before them. Because they want to be skilled at it. They want to be an expert at godly living. As we look at this passage, as Jethro spends more time with with Moses, it doesn't take long for him to, to notice something troubling. Verses 13 and 14. Moses is the only one handling all the disputes, concerns, arguments, problems, quarrels, bickering, fighting, grumbling, opinions, etc., 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 etc. For about a million people. He's the only one. What does it say? Verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and all the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Jethro says to him, What are you doing? Are you crazy? <laughs> what? I watch what happened today. You're in trouble. You see, a wise person sees the need and then responds. A wise person sees the need and then responds. Well, Moses has a very good answer to the question that Jethro asked him. Moses said to his father in verse 15, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. I'm needed. They need me. That's a fair answer. And they'll tell when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make him know the statutes of, of God and his laws. This is what I do. And this is what they do. We come together and we figure out. We work through the bickering. We work through the opinions. We work through the judgments. We work through all the junk that's between these people. I don't know. It doesn't say it that way. But, you know, you could probably feel in his heart he might feel this way just a little bit. You can only imagine the stress that Moses felt. just recounted, they're up against the Red Sea. They're in trouble. The Egyptians are behind. The Red Sea's in front of them. They have no way out. You can imagine the anxiety that that would produce. You can imagine this, the fact that these people have no water in the wilderness of Shur. You can imagine the stress that he'd feel, the, the sinful responses to the lack of food in the wilderness of sin. You can imagine the stress that he'd feel, the, there's no water for the people, they have to strike the rock. You can imagine the stress that he'd feel when the Amalekites are coming after them and, and they want to get them and, and they want to annihilate them. Now, you remember, these are just a few of the things that he dealt with. 
that's just the tip of the iceberg, they say. That doesn't cover the other multitude of things that he's dealing with all the time with a million people or so. He must have been exhausted at night when he laid his head down to sleep, or shall I say, when he tried to lay his head down to sleep. He didn't have antacid for heartburn. He didn't have Tylenol for headaches. He didn't have throat lozenges, throat lozenges for his horse throat. I'm having to say to the people so many times, be quiet! I think you understand what I'm preaching. Leading these people must have been the hardest job anyone in the world has ever had. It must have been the hardest job anyone Wise men understand this little phrase. Too much of me will hurt me. Too much of me will hurt me. Or as one author puts it, it's not about me. I'm not sure that necessarily Moses felt that, but it seemed to appear that way. You're the only one doing this. You see, and what Jethro understands, his father-in-law, there's a need, and I'm going to respond, and this is what you need to do, Moses. Secondly, you need to build a team. You need to build a team of people to help you out as you guide them. Maybe Jethro could have put it this way. Going solo is a no-no. Moses, going solo is a no-no. Now, I understand this. This is not easy to do to build a team because oftentimes we can do it better and faster than other people can do it. And if I don't know that, I would be lying to you. You know that in your church. You understand how that is. And yet Jethro, this wise man, sees a need. He responds and he says, Moses, you need to build a team. You need to have the people in the charge of the thousands and the hundreds and the fifties. You need to have somebody over those. You need you need to handle the big things and somebody else needs to handle the small things because if you don't, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to crash. I don't know if they had the word burnout that day in those days, but you know, that's a Hebrew word for crashing, right? That's what's going to happen to you, Moses. I struggle with this. But I'm learning. The elder team, the deacon team, they have been such great supporters here at Majestic. Taking some of the load off my shoulders. I am so thankful for the brothers. I'm thankful for everybody else. Right now, you know, we're down an associate pastor. We're down a children's director. And many of you stepped up and said, okay, how, what kind of help do you need? What can I do? Making contact. So thankful for that. And if you've not got to that point, it, it would be a great time to step forward. We can use it. You need it. The body is needed. The community is needed together. You use your spiritual gifts. We're more healthy. If you don't use your spiritual gifts, we will not be as healthy as we should be. Your experience, your passion, your heart, your abilities, all those things are needed to make a difference here at Majestic in the kingdom of God and working together. Thank you to so many of you for stepping up, especially during this time. It has meant a lot to me. In verses 21 and 22, Jethro says, Build a team, Moses. Build a team. You need these people to help you out. And when you build the team, give them the authority and responsibility to do the tasks that you've assigned them to do. And I believe that Moses did that. Jethro always says, third thing, Jethro also tells him, says, teach the people God's wise word. It says in verse 20, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. He sees the need, Jethro, this wise man, sees the need, and he responds, and he says, Moses, this is what you need to do. You need, you need to build this team. And when you build that team, give them the responsibility and authority to do the work, but also teach them about God's Word and what they're to do. 
Well, Moses already said he's done that. He says, back up here in verse 16. I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His law. So he's not putting them down. He's just re-emphasizing that they need to know God's Word for us. We need to know God's Word. As you build that team, teach them the Word of God, the statutes and the laws of God. Paul was a wise man. We know the Apostle Paul was a wise man of God. He echoed Moses and Jethro's belief that we need to know and teach the Scriptures when he instructed his young pastor friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. We read it just a few weeks ago. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. For, for God's Scriptures is God-breathed. God has breathed them out. They're inspired. And they're profitable, right? For teaching, reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness' sake, so that the man of God, the woman of God, the student of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. The Word of God, we need the Word of God. Jethro says, teach them the Word of God. I, I say to you, teachers, as you're teaching Sunday school in your small group, teach them the Word of God. What God, the Word of God will do for us, instructing and caring and loving us. See, I ask you this question. So, who are you teaching the Word of God to? Who are the people in your life you're teaching the Word of God to? As Jethro instructs Moses to do. First of all, you need to be teaching the Word of God to yourself. Every day, put yourself in the Word of God. You say you don't have time. Yeah, you got, you know, even you went a minute. Find a verse, read a verse. Put it into your life. You have time. I have time. Then teach it to your family. You're a family man. You're a family student. You're a family woman. Teach it to your family. Share with them. And then share with other people. You see, because when you share the Word of God with other people, you know what you're doing is? You're sharing it back with yourself. You're teaching yourself. You're reemphasizing yourself. How important it is. How valuable it is. Lastly, as I think about a wise person, is this. A wise person listens to and applies wise advice. That's what Moses does. He hears from wise Jethro, and he does what Jethro says. So Moses, verse 24, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he said. He chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and they judged the people at all times. And any hard case, they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Did exactly what he gave him to do. A wise person listened to and applies wise advice. Now, uh, I know this one really well. You might too. It's not always easy to take advice from others. It's not always easy to take wise advice from others. Maybe harder from a family member. Maybe the person sitting next to you. Maybe. But Moses jumps right on it. And he does what Jethro says. It says of Moses in Numbers 12, Now Moses is a very humble man. More humble than anyone on the Proverbs 13, 27, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. That's what Moses is doing. Walking with the wise, he will be wise. As I think about this passage and what he does, hopefully that through more of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses is able to go back to his tent and enjoy a few more moments each evening with Sephora. Listen to wise advice. He did the wise advice. And hopefully, that made wise. So, what wise advice have you received lately that you need to apply? Last week, did somebody give you some wise advice? You thought about it?
that's maybe that came from God. Because God cares too much. The Father cares. If you had somebody to deliver something to you that was really important, really valuable, to really help you out, if you haven't done it, humble yourself. And go and do it, just like Moses. God said yes. For all of us, for men especially, be a family. Lord's man, you take care of your family.